0: Hella Black, new episode featuring Khadija Means. Um, This is Khadija's third time on the podcast. And with each episode, we learn something. Y'all learn something. She dropped gems. Um, On this, we talk nonviolent communication, restorative justice, and any other theory that will heal Africans and liberate Africans. Don't forget to like and subscribe our YouTube. uh, Subscribe to our Patreon. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts uh and yeah free to real keep the rest but yeah we are excited to have you on this episode this, this episode this time um is a result of khadijah leading some nonviolent communication communication restorative justice work for um our organization people's programs as we try to center uh, abolition in our work restorative and transformative justice in our work especially over the last you know i would say year for sure i'm sure it's been been like this uh Forever, but I know over the last year, especially after the uprisings, and you started seeing like uh, defund the police, abolish the police, uh, restorative and transformative justice have seemed to, you know, maneuver their way back into mainstream social justice um, work culture. And <laughs> am I roasted? Niggas? That's, that sounded like a diversity pamphlet. For a second but like, that's like, you, you, that's, you just, well, you just see how this should be. Co-opted. It's being co opted, yeah, bro. You see so, how this should be yeah. Like it's just, it's people are making a mockery of it. They're using it for a mask for their very carceral and anti-black ways. When it has roots in very anti-carceral, anti-colonial shit. If we thinking about, I can't remember the the New folks Zealand. of New Zealand. Yeah, people. yeah. If we thinking about that right and and how this shit started, um, people the way that that is being used now is again a blanket for carceral anti-black behavior. So I, for us in our organization, when we're really trying to build with one another, heal one another build with our community heal our community we've been trying to get you know our teachings from a real for, you know integrate these real radical principles um into our work yeah and Khadija is helping us do that and so we figured as we fucking growing we should share what we have learned uh, with the broader community so that's why Khadija is back here mm-hmm. you should check out the first episode she did on this say what you mean I don't know what episode it is but it's like Same in the 70s or something
1: featuring
0: yeah go check it out maybe it's in the 50s who knows Y'all should go look <laughs>
1: Go scroll, you know. We got a we got a scroll 99 <laughs> podcast that you can scroll through and look, you feel me? So <laughs> tap in with our Patreon, patreon.com slash hello black pod soundcloud apple podcast, you feel me? Wherever you listen to your podcast, Hello Black is in there, you know what I'm saying? And if you white, pay up. If you brown, pay up. You feel me? If you black and got money, pay up. You feel me? Support black radical media.
0: We need a hundred patrons. I know it's a come on. I know you got a cousin right I know now.
1: There's a few white people sneaking. You feel me? They sneak away and they racist household and listen to it and, and say. I'm Even worried. if you were
0: op, just to just like pay up, nigga. Shit. But don't be paying. This don't shit. you want to keep me alive so you can kill me? Yeah. Come on, oh, shit. Even if you op, pay up.
1: I know y'all got the more Black Lives Matter signs on your on your fence or whatever. And science is real and whatever whatever they say these days. And I know you listening to hell of black, and I know you ain't paying up. I could tell by how many plays we get that some of y'all motherfuckers ain't paying up.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Khadija. <laughs> Khadija.
2: So much to say hmm? already.
0: <laughs> you said you have so much to say.
2: Yeah, just What's in response a- to everything I've heard so far.
1: It's a good thing you're on a podcast, you know.
0: Are you are you are you happy to share with what you've learned since your last? Um episode with us and what you've been teaching us? Are you? Happy oh about my that?
2: goodness. I have learned so much. I think the last time that I came on the pod, I was talking so much more about, you know, like the real building blocks of nonviolent communication, like observations, needs, feelings, requests. But in my time away from the pod, like I have learned so much about empathy and honesty and ego. And that has been like some of the most fulfilling work of my life, like to just really learn what it means to transform conflict into connection Um, and what that means for communities, you know, what that means for us as organizers, what that means for our future as abolitionists, you know, what does it mean to like look at um, harm and try to transform that into um, a way to connect with one another, a way to heal. Um, And it's really beautiful. So I've, I've been so into that work. And just like really like practicing empathy and what it means to empathize even when I don't want to, even when it's hard. Um, And I have been, I'm just really grateful to just even like know about nonviolent communication, know about the origins of RJ and um, TJ. So it's been pretty awesome. That's what I've been up to. Reading, crying, community work.
1: Was there like a, a moment that led you to having like these newer understandings and these like newer um, transformations almost?
2: I think there was a real turning point as I'm thinking about nonviolent communication and racism. You know, like I don't want to empathize with my oppressor. That's not a comfortable thing. That's not something that's interesting to me. It's not something interesting to my people. Uh, but looking at empathy as a tool, like for self and like seeing where people are coming from so that I can understand why they do what they do, being like critical to the work and being like a survivalist position kind of, you know? Um, So all, like what I've really learned is like reframing and like trying to answer some of those hard questions about the future we wanna build. And I think that that's kind of where like my politics are right now and just like how I get to these kind of self-help kind of themes is that I'm trying to imagine this world I want us to have. And when I think of it, you know, we're coming from the world we're in now. It's not a blank slate. We're all bringing what we've learned, all the traumas we've had, all the harm that's been done to us uh, by the state, by uh, the world, by our families, by our own communities. We're bringing all of that with us, you know? So what does it mean to Um, transform that harm into something beautiful into you know something that we can be proud of a world worth fighting for a world we want to live in um and so those big questions is what gets me to this work you know like going from that broader like how do we get to this dream I have for us you know in the micro like and that starts with really strengthening our interpersonal communication
0: yeah um I love all of that. Can we start with asking you a few questions? Yeah, we let's with talk about it. Um, so, yeah, we were interested in wanting you to elaborate on the role that, you know, restorative justice, nonviolent communication, um, like what roles do they play in building an anti-colonial world?
2: Well, I actually want to read y'all a quote from uh, Erica Gardner. May she rest in peace. And Kimmy Alibi, Alibi? Alibi? I'm not sure. Um, but they are writing at like a couple of years ago, like four or five years ago, about like a specific incident where some other organizers kind of take over their protest um, and it like devolves. Um, and I think that it is a perfect uh, example of why we need this conflict resolution type work. Um, because conflict is everywhere um, even in the spaces that we're organizing so I'll just read you the quote Um, this is a co-authored thing so I can't credit just one of them both of them say but right after my honest plea for peace and unity all hell broke loose while we stood on the very spot my dad was murdered all anyone could do was argue over who got credit for the event For 20 minutes, the demonstration devolved into name-calling and finger-pointing. I tried to cut through it, directing people towards the upcoming highway artery, our target location, but all I could think was, why here? Justice for my father seemed like the last thing on anyone's mind. I felt like I had failed him and his memory. By the time I got supporters moving again, we ran into 50 parked cop cars blocking the road in front of us. Our petty arguing had given them a strategic way to deploy unnoticed around us. There we were in the heart of downtown Staten Island, completely surrounded with no real way of continuing our march. It was over. We were divided and the cops of Staten Island won again." And I don't know, there's so many devastating lines in this excerpt, but that last one, you know, that the cops of Staten Island who killed Erica Garner's father, Eric Garner, um, is so devastating. And that the fact that, you know, even in a memorial, even in a direct action that is to honor um, the legacy of that person, um, petty arguing and who's going to get credit for an event is uh, taking over the spotlight Um, and like directly putting them in danger as well. You know, like now there's cops everywhere on something that um, they were strategic in advance and then was kind of disrupted by the arguing. So it's so necessary for us to learn how to diffuse situations, how to listen for the underlying needs of folks, how to decenter ourselves and drop our egos um, and be really about community. Um, And that doesn't mean know we can't have feelings about things I can't it doesn't mean that we can't feel underappreciated or upset or sad um, or hurt that someone didn't consider us or whatever else or that we thought that Uh, but it does mean you know kind of thinking about uh, what our community goals are what our real desired outcomes are and how important was that small argument versus you know the greater movement Um, so nonviolent communication to me is urgent like it is a tool that all of us can implement into our daily lives into our organizing spaces which can help us mend you know some of these deep uh injustices basically ooh, was that a good sentence does that make sense
0: yeah it, it, it it does and i even think about like like for myself over the last since we did this work with you and melissa over the last like year, I've seen the value in it. And I know people have their hold ups around it just because so many of us have been introduced to it and you know very co-opted ways. You know, like you see schools using it, you see fucking juvenile uh juvenile justice centers, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean, using it. Um, you see people who again are using the language of it but still having very carceral practices, you know, and that can steer you away from this shit. But when I've seen it used correctly I've, I've I've seen it organized in spaces um the way that us even at people's programs have been able to handle conflict when we use it the right way um the way that we've been able to draw the best out of one another in the name of the politic in terms of follow through in terms of voice and needs and in, in terms of reaching community agreements and shit I've really seen the power in it but you know I, again it has been weaponized co-opted but i I, I've, I know it has value and I know it's a necessity even in a, in a practical way, that you just um, gave that example of, like, you feel me? Niggas, if niggas would have used it at that moment at that protest, niggas wouldn't have got boxed in. Um, and maybe niggas could have did a little bit better uh, in the name of Eric Gardner.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, some police shit going on too, to be honest. <laughs> it sound like some agent provocateur shit. Yeah. Niggas always. Yeah, I mean, provoke, in that article, situations.
2: Erica. Oh, I'm sorry to talk over you, Blake. No, go ahead. In that article, Erica talks about um like being infiltrated by some right wing people just you know days before this, you know, um and like suddenly be on all these right wing blogs and getting all this national attention and people kind of twisting her words about uh Reverend Al Sharpton and like all these things, you know. So we definitely know infiltration is a thing. But I want to kind of rewind back to what Delancy was saying about co-opting and like uh, juvenile centers and schools, which, you know, of course, people in our entire lives of organizing have taken the thing we love the most, it's so valuable to us, and just twisting it into some garbage, you know? So it's not unfamiliar to have people taking like these concepts that are so dear to us and ruining them, you know? Or like running them into the ground. But to me, like I haven't, like when I think of it in schools And when I think of it in uh, prisons or juvenile detention centers, I think of that as like a good, as good as it can be, you know, as good as that can be, I guess. You know, I'm not gonna celebrate it. I'm not gonna donate money to it, but I do think, you know, like that's not the horrible thing. I think what really grinds me is watching people who do do not read primary sources, who you can tell have only gotten their information from secondary sources, like Twitter or um, some other online forum. Um, and they're taking their, their knowledge from their peers uh, and tweets and like short articles, like these 250 word articles and using that to inform their complete personal politics. And that's a problem to me because when you're not looking at the original text, um, you're not getting a sense of what like the, the purpose of something like restorative justice is. And so when you don't look at the original text and know the original source material, then you think that restorative justice is healing, which it isn't. You know, restorative justice does not prioritize healing. Restorative justice prioritizes uh, looking at harms from all places, which means, you know, the harm that someone has caused specifically to you and the harm that was done to them by a society that taught them to behave this way you know, and so if you put those two people in a room with that kind of politic, like the conversation is not really, you know, smiles and giggles and feeling good, you know, it's work. And the reason that you do that work is because you have this dedication to uh, a bigger sense of justice than like the carceral system. So like, the point of that is not that you walk away feeling so good. The point of it is that you walk away, you know, knowing that, all the harms have been, you know, aired, and that you got to talk about what's coming up for you, and you know, you find out why they might have done something and what they were feeling at the time and what they've been thinking about since. And none of those conversations are feel good conversations, and that can be okay, you know. Miriam um, Kaba says like, abolition is not about your fucking feelings, and that's how I feel about <laughs> restorative justice also. And it seems wild because when you throw in like nonviolent communication, which is so focused on empathy and knowing about other people's feelings, you know, it seems like how could I say something like that? But really, I feel like that's where I diverge kind of from Maryam Kaba, because it's not just about, you know, your feelings don't matter at all. It's that you, you don't have to latch on to every feeling you have. You can feel very angry about something that's normal, especially if someone's harmed you in a really horrible way, you know, like, you've been greatly harmed and you feel like you want vengeance or revenge that's completely normal um we've been taught that like look at children's cartoons like the bad guy does something we go to beat them up or kill them or throw them in jail like that's literally what happens in cartoons you've seen that kind of media your whole life and that's the world we live in so it's no surprise that that's in us you know um so that's normal. But, you know, when you have a dedication to a personal politics, it's about recognizing the way that we've all been harmed, that we're all a part of this, you know, punitive system, and we have to unlearn that, and we have to have strategies to kind of separate us from that. Then, you know, you can recognize that restorative justice and transformative justice and nonviolent communication are asking us to really, you know, decide what our our true desired outcome is, and then those three tools i told you about help us get to that desired outcome and if your desired outcome is revenge then those three processes are not for you um, because they're not possible through those means you know
1: people be so hell-bent on revenge and i think the the way you explained it in terms of like cartoons and like mass propaganda like we've been fueled these colonial images you feel me? This propaganda for so long that, like, it's by nature.
0: Of what we, justice we, is.
1: Yeah, by nature, <laughs> we're gonna want revenge because we've been taught that for 28 years, 27 years, 26 years, 25 years. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the You still
2: didn't get to my age.
1: <laughs> 25 years.
2: I'm 24.
1: 24 years, 23 years. Do I need to keep going? No. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but yeah, you know, like to me. Feelings are our body's response to a stimulus in our environment. So, not every feeling needs to be latched onto, given a platform, acted on by you or a whole community or who else you can kind of wrangle to support you. And that's not like a dig at survivors of harm. You know, Miriam Kaba's a survivor of harm. I'm a survivor of harm. Great harms. You know, like it's not to say like, oh, fuck everything that's coming up for you. It's not that your feelings aren't valid, but in this movement of like validating every feeling, people are are not having discernment about which feelings to latch onto and let drive you and which not to. Um, and that's a big issue because all of your feelings are valid, but your feelings are a response to what's happened uh, to your body in the past, you know? So sometimes you'll feel really angry about something, um, on one day because of that specific day. And you wouldn't feel angry about that a year from now, the same situation, you know? And that doesn't mean that your feelings are any less valid. It just means that we need to think about, you know, what our actual end goals are. Um, And when we're talking about like abolition, when we're talking about like community organizing, rejecting disposability politics, like this idea that we throw people away who are all bad, you know, like that means doing this harder work that does not feel good in the moment but part of it is like it's a long-term investment it doesn't feel good in this circle or it doesn't feel good in this one-on-one mediation but later you know it puts us on the path to healing it puts us on the path to um to connection like it, it does we can come like when someone can sit across from you, acknowledge the harm they've caused, you can hear where they were coming from, why it happened, how they're not going to do it again. You can agree on some um, strategies or some some things that you need for justice, you know? Um, and then five years from now or one month from now or whatever the timeline is that's comfortable for both of you, you know, like you are able to take better care of yourself and you are able to recognize like what you actually want does that make sense I feel like I'm like barely making sense to y'all right now but you know like you when you are able to figure out what your end goal is you can kind of work backwards and it's like the same philosophy of me thinking about those greater questions of you know what do I want this world to be okay how do I get there It's the same thing. Like, I wanna feel like you care about me and won't harm me again. Okay, well, how do I get there? What do I need to ask of you for that? Um, And sometimes in that process, when we're thinking about what specifically we need out of someone, we realize all of a sudden that all we wanted was revenge. Because when you start peeling back the layers of, oh, well, I just want an apology. Okay, you get the apology, you're still angry. And that might be okay. You know, we still feel anger after an apology. But you're like, no, well, I want something else to happen. You know, like they need to, like they need a punishment, you know? And then you're able to see, like, oh, this wasn't about an apology to begin with. You know, like this was about, you know, my feelings of needing revenge.
0: Or it wasn't about shit, accountability. You might tell someone, what do you need for them to be held accountable? And they follow through on that task. And it's like, well, nah, actually, that's not what I needed.
2: Well, you already know that accountability has to come from self. You cannot make someone else accountable. Like that's, Basic, a, basic, 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 basic,
1: basic. But I mean, what is, is you, thing everybody's like saying, you oh, we need like, to hold like, you accountable. You accountable. <laughs> accountable. Yeah, I want <laughs> to know that I can hold you accountable. Like how can you hold me accountable? When accountability comes from myself.
2: This also gives me the eye rolls about people being like, oh, we're going to hold whatever mainstream politician of the month, you know, accountable <laughs> oh, once they're elected. And it's was like,
1: what? <laughs> and the whole Kamala Harris account. No, you're not, nigga. You're like, vote vote you not. Like,
2: how, how are you going and how are you going to do that? You know, you have a direct line there. And also that has to come from them. Like they have Joe. to be motivated to do something. <laughs> we did it.
1: We <laughs> did it, Joe. You go, all going to call Joe? Tell them stop. Like that nigga gonna stop? I can't. The commander, the chief. You feel me? Like what?
2: Yeah. And so, I guess to me, feelings are what's alive in us, and there's many things alive in us when something happens. It's kind of like what I said in the last podcast. Like if a clown comes in, we may all have different feelings, and that's our bodies responding to, you know, the stimulus in our environment, which would be that clown. And like, when we know what's coming up for us, what we're feeling, we can have a better understanding of what we need to feel differently. Um, And so taking inventory of those feelings is critical. Uh, But the next step is thinking about what you actually need, you know, and then devising a plan based off of that need. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of people skip that step, you know, like they skip the okay, here's what I actually need to feel better because they have no idea even how to approach that. They only know what they've been taught. They don't have any dreams about what justice can look like because all they've been offered is, oh, if someone hurts you, send them to jail. Oh, if someone hurts you, beat their ass. Oh, if someone hurts you, talk shit about them on Twitter. Like whatever, you know, like whatever they've they've come to know as justice, like they have a limited view of that because, you know, that's all we are taught. That's all we see. I mean, I a,
0: so, yeah, go ahead. I have a question around like what it looks like to not latch on to your feelings and practicality because I feel so much of this has been like theorized, but I would like for somebody to have, like if a listener is like, you know, if this is resonated with them to have some type of guideline. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, for
2: me, it's like, yeah, totally. I let my feelings wash over me, but I don't act on them immediately. Just like all of my thoughts. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I should just move away to Thailand or somewhere else and feel happy, you know, or I should move to Kenya on the beach that my middle name is, you know, and like enjoy that. But um, not every single thing that I think is something I should do. And so the process of like being like, wow, it's okay for me to have this goal or dream or it's okay for me to just have this fantasy of the moment, you know, and let it go, not latch on to it. So that's like a cognitive behavioral therapy thing, where you kind of let thoughts come in and out of your brain, and not latch onto them. Um, It's hard for me to. Yeah, that's like totally classic CBT. Like you don't have to, um, like, latch onto every single thing that comes up for you. So, like, if I'm if okay, let's say that um, you threw out like my favorite frozen waffles for example, and I am like furious and I'm also sad and I'm also like annoyed, I can like let those feelings come up, notice what's coming up in my body. Like my chest is getting tight or I want to cry or I'm, you know, feeling anxious about talking to you about it or whatever. Um, and then like I give it some time or I write a journal or, you know, I talk to a friend about it. And then after that, you know, um, I decide what I want out of the situation. I want more frozen waffles. I've decided that and I also want you to say to me, you know, my bad for eating your frozen waffles. So now that I know what I want out of the situation, like I can go to you and ask you like, yo, did you eat my frozen waffles? Hopefully you'll tell the truth and say, yeah, I did. Or I threw them away or whatever. And then I'll say, can you get me some more? <laughs> you know, like, and like, even though my said, immediate feelings Instacart. might be like, I
1: should go take, what'd you say? say? What? You said, what up that Instacart thing? <laughs> I mean, <my> frozen <laughs> waffles. <laughs>
2: Load it up now, literally, but you know, like, instead of going into your room while you're in the middle of something like disrupting your meeting to tell you like, how dare you or whatever, like whatever my first impulse is, I take a moment not to react and to respond to that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess the biggest part of not latching onto things for me is just taking time and space. And sometimes it's a lot longer than like a day, like depending on what's happened. Sometimes you need a lot of time you know, to really decide what you want to happen. And I think in this world of instant gratification and, like, constant urgency of everything, people do not give themselves enough time to process things when they're awful, when they're good, anything, you know? Um, so for me, that's what it looks like.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because I feel like you could have feelings and they're valid, but, like, if you act on those feelings that don't make it valid all the time, you know what I'm saying? If you act yeah those, like place you know what i'm saying like i don't know that's one thing i learned in therapy is like you could i could have all these feelings but if i'm acting on that shit every single time that ain't doing nobody good and myself ain't no good you know what i'm saying if i don't yeah. have that, like critical reflection you know what i'm saying like like i could be triggered from ptsd and somebody could trigger me but that doesn't mean it's their fault <laughs> That's my own Ooh, that's a, that's a big one different. about fault. You know that I mean? is
2: such a, that is a word. And this is a, so, thank you for saying that. It's so important for us to get away from like, who's to blame and the finger pointing and all of that, you know, because like, if we really look into it, who's to blame is this white supremacist world. Like, so getting into the faults, like that's why it was so easy to transition to like nonviolent communication and looking at everyone's reality and not looking at fault as much as uh, what's happened and what we want to happen. Because like, I know that if I look into whatever the behaviors are, like those are learned behaviors from a horrible world. And that's not to dismiss them and it's not to minimize them. It's just to say, you know, like when it comes to fault, I don't look at the individual. Um, And so like, it's really freeing it's really freeing to drop your ego and not take things personally and that's hard to say like that isn't like I hope people do not take this out of context to make it seem like I'm saying just you know nothing should ever hurt you or anything I'm saying the opposite of that I'm saying things can harm you but also recognize you know that people cannot predict everything that will harm you um, and that everything people do is not intentional And even when it is like, it's not necessarily about you or the quality of person that you are or the boundaries you didn't set. It's about them, you know, and dropping your ego and not taking things personal really helps uh, understand, like helps solidify that and make it real.
0: That shit has helped me so much to realize, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's this, I would like to think it's a byproduct of individualism where you start to look at the world as like everything that happens around you was about you or for you or to you. Like, and when you've learned to kind of let go of that individualism, you realize like everybody out here, damn just think about self <laughs> and you feel me sometimes that leads to, you know, shit happening to you. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, through the, the nonviolent communication shit, I've definitely been able to like take a step back and, stop trying to take shit so personal like it, it really has led to a, a level of, of empathy for myself and for others um and I, on the topic of empathy on the subject of empathy i was like i had some a question around like well so like how do we like where is that threshold how do you know like when you like you making space for your own human era you making space to acknowledge um, the colonized minds of yourself and of others but like where is that that line and I, I mean i'm sure it's like murky but like you know like where, where you reaching that point so okay you no longer making space now you're down there being an accomplice to either you yeah, causing over, you feel me over and you over know and like over
1: and over again like where does that yeah like how does empathy work in that
2: thank you for saying over and over and over again like that because now i'm laughing my mind at marshawn lynch <laughs> 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 um that line is it's blurry I mean this is kind of why you want to not just be working solo and have a community where you like come together with your community agreements and then like in the heat of the moment you don't have to make a decision you know based on what feelings are coming up for you you have a community to go to and be like hey I'm feeling like I want revenge or you know whatever it's sometimes really thinly veiled like I'm feeling like I want this person to pick up my groceries every single day this week because (laughs) you know they ate my waffles um, and the community can come to you and be like, yo, like, are you sure you want that? Or like, I guess it would be even more, it would be worse than that because that actually might be restorative, picking up the groceries every day. But like, um, like I want to plaster this person's face up as a waffle stealer, you know, um, on posters. And the community is like, yo, like, are you sure you want to do that? Um, so I think it's partially about community. I also think it's just like, it takes practice. I don't know if I have any like, perfect tips like perfect podcast tips to give you about how to you know check yourself it's like a it's an ebb and flow like you learn over time like how like self-empathy and empathy out you know like how you can give empathy to others and when it becomes too much um and like that's kind of a trial and error thing it's like a thing that we learn over time dealing with many different people and that means sometimes we're gonna fuck it up you know, um, and I think part of this work is it's not saying that um, it's OK to fuck up, you know, but it is saying, like, I mean, it's not saying you should fuck up all the time, but it is saying it's OK to mess up sometimes, you know, um, and like, I think one of my favorite Miriam Cabo quotes from this book, we do this till we free us, is mistaking emotional satisfaction for justice is not abolitionist. Like so, to me, like that's a guiding line because, like, when I feel like this is to serve me solely or to serve someone else in getting that emotional satisfaction, then that is not justice. Um, and I think that that is kind of that helps me choose the line. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like on on either side, like you know, like you're saying, like how do you make sure you're not just complicit in helping people be harmful? How do you make sure? you know, you're not just harming hella people. I think trying to discern like, is this about like my emotion? Like, is this about me getting emotional satisfaction? Is this about me feeling vindicated, you know? Or is this about, you know, something for the community or something to better like the situation or to to heal or something, you know? Um, And I don't think that those lines are ever really that black and white, but um, the work TM is about learning to balance that.
1: So, how does revenge? How was revenge addressed in uh, nonviolent communication? Like, what is what is that? Well, the thing like?
2: about nonviolent communication is challenging. It doesn't have a true pathway to say you did this to me. When we think back to what I taught y'all in the first podcast, like uh, nonviolent communication is about saying when this specific thing happened, I felt this. Um, and this is what I need, is it possible for you to do it? So nonviolent communication is always prioritizing the autonomy of both people. You are making requests of people, never demands. You're asking them um, if it's possible for them to do something, if they're willing to do it, you want to get consent from them basically to continue on. Um, And there's no way to say, you did this to me, it's your fault, or you did this to me. So, you know, like, The framework itself doesn't really allow for those revenge things.
0: What about transformative Uh, justice? Does that allow for demands?
2: Transformative justice is about transforming harms, um, all harms. So like to me, revenge cannot live in any of these frameworks, but it's challenging to determine what is revenge because it can often be under so many layers of rhetoric um and like who are we to determine at some point what is revenge versus what is actually trying to uh, be restorative but I think back to the guiding line you know if it's about emotional satisfaction then it's not really justice
0: yeah um there was a point you made earlier when you were talking about when we were talking about drawing the lines of like, I guess the threshold of like when you making space for empathy and when you might just be an accomplice. Um, And there was this, the theme of like learning and it's wild how much we talk about, you know, learning and unlearning, but we also don't allow ourselves or folks around us the space for like those ebbs and flows and those trials and errors. Like I think so much about myself um, when I tell myself like, oh, I should be doing this differently. I should've did this, I shouldn't be better. And it's like my nigga, you are actively, you know, combating uh conditionings that you were subconscious and conscious conditionings from everyday life yeah it's tough because you
2: don't you want to be humble you know like humility is a big part of community work like you do not want to walk around like your shit doesn't stink and you never fuck up but at the same time you know you don't want to be too lenient with yourself at at a certain point that you know, everything you do is getting written off as like, oh, well, you know, there's a bigger system that taught me this. So it's all about balance. And on the, on the side of things, <laughs> yes, they will. They will, you know, and you don't want that. You know, uh, you want people to be thinking about, I guess, to me, I'm always more inclined to say, like, did I do every single thing I could do to eliminate harm today? And the answer is always no which means that I have to shut the fuck up critiquing other people sometimes, you know, because like, you can't be throwing stones in a glass house, if that makes sense. Like, so people need to, I shouldn't tell people what they need to do, but I invite people to, you know, have a lot more grace because everyone is really trying. And that's really hard when you're talking to people who have been harmed, because we want to believe that people harmed us intentionally you know, that everything they did, they knew exactly how much it was going to hurt us and they did it anyway. And that's not the reality of the world. You know, like the reality is harm is an eventuality. With all the things that we've learned, we are going to harm people sometimes. It doesn't matter how much of the stuff we learn. Like there are things we'll never know about someone that could trigger them. Like Blake said about PTSD, like Somebody could trigger your PTSD and it has nothing to do with what they literally said to you, you know? It's about your trauma and what you're bringing to the space, you know? Um, so that's not the, there, there's no fault there, by the way. Like that, that's not, that's no one's fault. It's just, it's an eventuality. It happens because of the world we're in and the people we are right now. Um, so it's about harm reduction. It's about minimizing those opportunities and nonviolent communication restorative justice and transformative justice are tools to help us get there into eliminating harm. But that we're always like we're in a permanent pursuit of eliminating harm. It's not something we can just get to, especially not coming from the world we're in right now. And that doesn't mean we don't try it. You know, the whole point is that we just we keep going on that path. You know, we keep going. And I think Miriam Kaba said something like, um... Like people like to think of abolition as like one day the skies are gonna open up or something and be like abolition, here it is. And it's like, no, we don't get there because it randomly happens. We get there because we're always working on it. And whether that means like on a huge community organizing level, like teaching people about nonviolent communication or on the micro level of like using nonviolent communication with your kids, you know, um, and recognizing them as small human beings who have their own drives and ambitions and feelings. One thing I learned since the last podcast is like people love to try to tell the like say the intentions of someone else and this has been really hard and that like directly interrupts recognizing someone's autonomy and that severs the empathy. You can't have empathy for someone you don't feel as human right. So If you think that someone can't make decisions for themselves or that you can tell them who they are or what they're doing or why they did it, then you cannot have empathy for that person because you don't even believe they have self-determination or anything. So like with kids, people will say like, oh, somebody broke broke a glass and they'll say, you did that on purpose. Like you cannot, that's confusing to a child because they're now thinking, wait, can people read my mind or people can tell like what I've done on purpose, quote unquote. Like there's no way to know that. Only we can know our own intentions. You know? know I like um, just
1: broke some glass on purpose. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Today?
1: You like right before this?
2: Oh my goodness. But you know what I mean? Like it, we can't, we cannot know someone's intentions unless, uh, they're told to us, which is like a big reason that the state justice system fails us. Because like for hate crimes, like with everything happening with the AAPI community right now, with hate crimes, like the only way you can prove something's a hate crime in the law is if you can prove someone intentionally did it. You know, like what the fuck does that? Like what? We can't do that. That that's pretty much impossible. It's pretty hard. Like the the burden of proof is on like the marginalized group being attacked to prove that somebody else intentionally did it. And all we can do there is assume that, you know, they did it on purpose or whatever, you know? And like in our hearts, we may know like, oh, this person did it, you know, because these are Asian folks. But like legally speaking, like that's almost impossible to prove. So that's why we can't look to the state Justice system for justice. Ju- I shouldn't even call it justice system. The state legal system, you know, for justice. Because, like, what justice is really served there when you can't even prove something's a hate crime. Number one and number two. Like, what does it do for the folks who are being abused by, you know, uh, white supremacists to have them just in jail? Like, what what is that supposed to do for us and for our community? It does nothing.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking um about like this need for patience that that shows up with um you know trying to heal and and grow and build and learn um but I also understand like how it's so hard to ask somebody right who's you know feeling the the violence of of um, white supremacy of capitalism every day right if, if we think about like a woman right to like tell a woman to be patient with a man that might be causing her hella hormone like to see things from his point of view is like, i get why motherfuckers don't be having the the patience for that um but like shit that just i think stuff that that's missing or um Something that needs to be said that's missing from conversations It's like, bro, this is just the work. It's, it's, it's going to require all of us to make sacrifices. It's going to require all of us to do some work that we probably don't want to do, that we get tired of doing. But if we really want to see a, a different world, like niggas got to do it. I even all think right, about so us with, with white people sometimes, right? Like you look at the beginning of this podcast, niggas used to be like, you feel me going in on them niggas 24-7 Then we feel me reading about, you feel me, rainbow coalitions. We learning about the past for real. We talking to Jaleel and it's like, all right, well, shit. If a nigga really want what we talking about, we want, they're going to have to play we don't have to deal with these niggas in some capacity because there's poor white folks out here getting dogged by the system just like us um and then there's also this this thing around um you know the importance when it comes to rj tj of being in a community with people who value your existence right like how can you how can someone who is very anti-black take space in holding and building and healing black people how can I look at my own. I look at situations that I've been in, where it's motherfuckers who say all men should die, men should not exist, and not from like the binary shouldn't exist. Like no, the binary can still exist, but men shouldn't exist. Like how can I trust someone like that to to hold me and, and you feel me, empathize with me? Like, it, it it just and that's the shit that people been rejecting when it comes to they've been they've been rejecting the necessities, the foundations of this shit, and thinking yeah. they're, gonna get, they're gonna get the end result.
2: I mean, it's very like. It's not easy work, number one. Number two, like it's tricky because what does it mean for us to acknowledge all the harms in a session that's about someone assaulting someone else? You know, Um, that's challenging work. And I hear you when you say like sacrifices and thinking about women, you know, and like how disproportionate, you know, there's like how many sacrifices women will have to make in comparison to men for certain situations you know but then I also think about like how many men have been abused you know um and that violence like people I don't believe people are naturally bad I don't believe people are naturally violent I think that no one does anything harmful that hasn't been done to them personally um so like I don't I think that and you know actually I should be careful saying that you know because people will take it into the extreme as extent, and I'm really generalizing here, but my point is, like, um, the work is hard, and not everybody can do it, and not everyone has to do it, you know? Not everyone will be with us on that kind of stuff, Um, but it's frustrating to see people kind of run around saying that things don't work, you know, like that restorative justice doesn't work, or that um, uh, transformative justice doesn't work. Because we have to really decide, like, what to, what does success even look like? What does working even mean? Yeah,
1: you know, it's like if you say, "An RJ and TJ don't work," but then you was back in the state. What does that make you?
2: I mean, yeah, there's a lot of questions that come up. <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> more questions than answers. But I yeah. want to go back to that thing that Delancy said. You know, um, about like how how hard that is. Like, because I think it's really important for us to hold that like people are having to make huge sacrifices in service of this better world we want. And so we shouldn't be assholes to those people, you know, as they have to make those sacrifices. I also think like the whole men are trash movement has gotten really out of hand when it comes to like being in community with folks, because in the end, like like I said about abused boys and stuff, you know, like to, to decide that a whole gender is corrupt you know, and that they're not worth putting any more resources into or guiding or helping. Like, none of that sounds like the people that I look up to, the people I see folks posting, you know, like, none of that sounds like Angela Davis to me, Dr. Angela Davis, you know, like, none of that sounds like Ruth Wilson Gilmore to me. Like, none of that sounds like Miriam Kaba to me. Like, none of that sounds like truly abolitionist. And I hear the pain behind that, you know, because we're talking about very real violences against uh, women, non-binary folks, et cetera, at the hands of men, you know, but restorative justice and transformative justice are asking us to look at who harmed them as well, you know, and what they've learned. And as we're thinking of building a better society, like there is no shortcut to just getting rid of everyone. And what started as like a fun joke to like, help us kind of cope with the harms that men are doing, you know, turned into like a really reductionist position that's weaponized all over the internet, um, that leaves a lot of men vulnerable. Like there's many, many, many women who are abusive and who abuse men and boys, you know? Um, and by having that position, it makes like it it leaves open this whole world where someone's identity can give them a platform to abuse people. Like where a black queer woman, for example, could like be abusing boys or um, like men or something. And they could build a whole platform around that, you know? Um, And like, no one would kind of bat an eyelash because of the identity that person holds. Um, And so I do, I feel like that has really gotten out of hand and it's not a discussion I would want to have on Twitter because the nuance is so limited and that's not me shitting on people talking about men are trash because we understand where that is coming from. You know, that is a response to this enormous amount of gender-based violence against women and non-binary folks. Uh, But it requires more than that. And that's where the empathy also comes in, you know, and, and building a better world is about empathy because at a certain point, it's like, okay, wait, are you for black people or no? Because men are black too. (laughs) There are black men and there's also like, I don't know, it's just important to look at all of the intersections of things and that no identity is um, absolved from doing harm.
0: But that's not what main that's not what mainstream social justice pop culture is yeah, teaching us right now. Yeah, like- <laughs>
2: and also, if people read original texts, then they would know what I. Who's reading politics anything about
0: who's who's? And, attain- that's, it's
2: frustrating <laughs> because, like, the Combahee River Collective is not saying get rid of all men, as they're talking about identity politics. You know, as the people who've coined identity politics, that's not what they're talking about. Like, they're talking about um, the ways that a specific identity is impacted by every single systemic oppression and therefore by freeing that person we're freeing everyone and that's why we need to pay attention to identity
0: not not to create... people people have weapons yeah, not,
2: not to create yeah. like say, not oh, to create villains and just do not to create yeah not to vilify and it just gets hard it gets hard the work is messy as fuck and people have all this justifiable anger you know like it's very hard for me to sit here and be like you know don't say, Um, men are trash because like when I look at what the where what the complaint is I can see that the complaint is coming from this deep place of anger and pain and that's valid as fuck you know um but how do we transform that anger and pain into something that can help us build this new community and not everybody can get there not everyone can do that part of that side of the work and that's okay some people have to sit in their anger and pain for a lifetime and they're not able to transform it. And that sucks. And I don't want that for them, you know, but that's the reality. I um, mean, that's, that's not to create some kind of moral continuum on this, you know, that if you can do the work, you're good and better than everyone. And if you can't do the work, you're bad. You know, like we are all carrying very heavy burdens. Like niggas are just trying to eat, you know, and have housing, like, that takes up a lot of energy in your day. Like when you're thinking of the hierarchy of needs, you know, like people are 90% focused on that. They don't have 10% to learn a nonviolent communication strategy, you know, necessarily to help them or whatever. Like, and I understand that. Um, But some of us do. And those of us who do, you know, I feel like have an opportunity to share that
0: and a duty so if you're going to be taking up can. space and claiming and claiming politics you have the opportunity and you have the i
2: duty. mean yeah if you're going to be talking <laughs> about you're an organizer you're an abolitionist whatever then you have an obligation i think but yeah. i'm not going to say that anyone is obligated off jump but if you're definitely going to be taking up all this space you know preaching on your soapbox etc you know you have an obligation to do that and you have a major obligation to start reading some original sources good lord i can't take it bro people be just taking the shit
1: they see on twitter on one like bro like like,
0: or just shit they see on panel you feel like you could hear a nigga say something in the panel you feel me Hear something or a nigga could read some text and still not fully like it's not there are niggas who have who are very real well read and still have not been able to take the theory in to fucking practice but um I'm thinking of this this cycle of like if we really do address all the harms, then we'll be able to see that like, okay, like shit, if you if we take it about okay, this man harmed a woman, but this other woman might have harmed this man, which led to him harming this woman, which might have been harmed by a non-binary. You feel me? Like, nigga, no one is 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 pure. No one is absolved yeah. from doing harms. And if we looked at, if we took that stance, then so we we the would apologies. we could make some real progress. Yeah.
2: And it, it's a tricky line to walk, you know, because you're not trying to sound like you're an apo- like a, a rape apologist or an abuse apologist or any of that. Like, that's not the point. The point is like, what does it mean to love on all of our people and try to give them an opportunity to be better, you know, um, without, you know, leaving survivors of harm, like to just make all these sacrifices in the name of healing somebody else, you know, but like accountability processes are not about healing, you know, um, they're not. Uh, I don't know who started that rumor. I don't know how it started happening all over the internet. And it's wild because I'm talking about a lot of themes in Miriam Cobb's book. Cause that's what I just read this week. But like, I've been thinking about these and talking about this kind of stuff with y'all for forever. It feels like, you know, like that it's not, like, it's not, it, that's not a healing process. The healing comes after that, you know? Like, restorative justice mediations, they don't feel good in the moment, you know? And that's, like, my experience in do, doing the work. What the healing comes next. That's just one step. Um, and a lot of the, and, you know, a lot of it is about grief, you know? Like, Someone harmed you and you're really upset and sad about it. And revenge is like trying to skip some steps and processing your grief. Um, And I've had to go through some really deep grief in the last year. Like many people, I'm sure many of your listeners, like the whole world has been grieving with this pandemic. Um, And I lost one of my best friends this year. And that was kind of like a pandemic adjacent death because she didn't die because of the pandemic technically you know, but it felt like the pandemic circumstances made that happen, you know, like made her death possible. Um, and so it's been really challenging to like wade in that. And like in the immediate moments of realizing that my friend had died, like kind of at the end of this pandemic, I wanted Donald Trump's neck. You know what I mean? I was like, this is your fucking fault. Like it's your, it's literally specifically your fault. Like look at the rest of the world, people like actually took lockdown seriously, were out in a couple months, whatever, you know. Meanwhile, our pandemic is still going on to this day a year later, you know, and we're just starting to see light at the the end of the tunnel with this vaccine or whatever and possible herd immunity. But the fact of the matter is our government let 500,000 plus people die. Um, And like, I just wanted revenge and through my grief process, obviously I have let go of a lot of that, but it's also, it like, it's also helpful that I don't have any access to Donald Trump. You know what I mean? That I didn't have um, any way to like directly come to him and be like, fuck you, I can't believe this. You know, I want revenge against you or whatever. Like, but that grief process is necessary to like the healing and the acceptance and like moving on and i think a lot of people try to skip over that because they maybe like i I think they try to skip over that and i'm not saying that's their fault i'm saying you know maybe they don't even have the understanding that what they're doing after being harmed is a grief process you know um because we really only learn to grieve death as a society and there's so many other things that we have to grieve grieving you know, a childhood that we didn't really have grieving um, a a loved one moving away, you know, where they're kind of functionally not in our lives or um, like just grieving lost opportunities, uh, lost relationships, um, grieving harms done to us and harms we've done to others. Like there's so many things we have to grieve and revenge tries to um take the pain away from us like away from that process like instead of doing grief we can just do revenge but it's not really fulfilling just like punishment doesn't work revenge doesn't really work because it doesn't get you what you want which is that inner peace you can't find that in harming someone else
0: thank you we um have one more question before we wrap it up um And so, yeah, we stated earlier that you had, you know, did some workshops with us at People's Programs, and uh, we wanted to know, what in in an ideal situation for you, how would you like to see us implement, um, you know, this learning into our organizing?
2: To me, the most important part of nonviolent communication isn't the four principles you know like all the observations all the kind of rhetoric that you use to kind of understand where people are coming from to me the most important thing is coming in with the giraffe intentions which are you know to understand to connect to empathize like really coming into situations seeking to understand the other person or the other entity whatever that means Um, And I would love to see like my dream for y'all is to see people who are so emotionally intelligent when it comes to giving and receiving empathy um, and letting that kind of guide your work. And I know it sounds so like happy and like hippy dippy, but like to me, that has been one of the greatest tools for inner peace is being able to like actually recognize where people are, what's coming up for them, like what's alive in them. Um, and being able to meet their needs and then meet mine in turn because of the empathy that we have for one another because empathy to me is our gateway to full humanity like to to recognizing other black people as fully human and recognizing ourselves as fully human and that is truly transformative to me because You know, we have not seen ourselves as fully human because of propaganda by the state, because of uh, anti-Blackness, because of white supremacy, because of systemic racism. And like to gift ourselves that, to uh, have a new understanding of ourselves as fully human. And because of that understanding, always offering one another empathy, I think is the most beautiful thing that we can do. And so even if you don't learn, if you never learn how to make a request, you know, the way that I've taught y'all in nonviolent communication, I hope that you can take the spirit of it, the honesty, uh, uh, the honesty and the empathy with you.
1: So where can um, people find more information, you know, on, on the work that you do? But also I think one recurring theme was like talking about like primary sources. So like, what are some good primary, primary sources, you know, for people to really learn about this work? you know, the true work, you feel me?
2: Yeah, Um, well, the nonviolent communication book I'd recommend is Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life by Marshall Rosenberg. Um, As far as RJTJ, like, I would have to send you a list because there's just so many sources, you know? When it comes to abolition, I would say uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore's book, The Golden Gulag, Prisons, it's about prisons in California is excellent. Angela Davis, our prisons (laughs) obsolete, you know, the Combahee River Collective um, statement, which is about uh, identity politics, which is where it's coined. Gloria Anzaldua's book, um, This Bridge Called My Back. Actually, I I don't think it's her book. It's like a, it's two authors. I can't remember the other author right now. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. But Uh, This bridge called My Back and Gloria's Gloria Anzaldua, I believe, coins people of color at a like a conference where they're trying to not center white people, and so they invent the term there. You know, those are some good starting places to me.
1: So,
2: I have a quote I want to read. Oh, and you can find more of my work. I need to plug myself. You can find more of my work. I'm on Instagram at Khadija Means. Um, I do have a website which is khadishameans.com if you're interested in like professional, like diversity, equity and inclusion, which I hate those words and I wanna write a piece about why and why I still use them. Um, And um, what else do I have? Instagram, website. Also, Nonviolent Communication Santa Cruz has an art of a communication festival um, coming up. It's in May. And you can attend that virtually. And there will be so many workshops on like adult um, relationships with parents and self empathy. And those are all really good workshops and tools for black people, I believe. I wanna close my little statement with a quote, which is from Marshall Rosenberg about nonviolent communication. Um, and he says, if I use nonviolent communication to liberate people to be less depressed, to get along better with their family, but do not teach them at the same time to use their energy to rapidly transform systems in the world, then I am a part of the problem. I am essentially calming people down, making them happier to live in the systems as they are. So I'm using NBC as a narcotic. And I think that that's so important because this is not just about learning, you know, better interpersonal communication skills. It's also about radically transforming the world we live in um, to view black people as fully human. um, And by extension of that, when black people are liberated, all people will be liberated. So um, I think that nonviolent communication is urgent and necessary and exciting, uh, but not just because it will help you get in less arguments,
1: potentially, you know? Can I ask you one more question? Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who calls nonviolent communication very white? Especially if you look at the founder, Uh, you know?
2: being Yeah, the founder is white, you know? Most of the folks uh, practicing it are white. Um, I would say that you should, as a like for me as a black person, I'm trying to collect all tools that will serve my people, regardless of who originated them. Um, I am trying to find tools to add to my tool belt to build the better world I wanna see, which means that um, I'm taking literature from all walks of life, from all parts of history to find out what works, to build the thing that I want for my people. And nonviolent communication um, is one tool. There are many tools to collect. And so take what works for you and leave what doesn't. That would be my response to that. And also I'm black. If y'all didn't know, I am black and I love nonviolent communication. So hopefully that will make it feel a little bit less white, but I don't know.
1: For <laughs> sure. So, so. well, I appreciate you, you know, coming on for the for your third guest feature. I'll have a black. I know. hope
2: this was a good guest feature. I mean it was great. My second one, I feel like was excellent. So I don't know (laughs) if I can top that one.
1: (laughs) No, this one was a great follow-up to the last one, you know, and just shows, like, why and how you could always be growing.
2: Totally. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Delancy. Thank you, Hella Black Pod. Thank you, all the listeners. Please check out my Instagram.
1: Damn, I was going. I thought you was about to say, yeah. Check out their Kadisa Patreon. Kadeesa
0: loves cheese, cheese or whatever. <laughs> oh,
2: Kadeesa loves cheese. Instagram. Yes, I do love charcuterie, so I have a charcuterie account as well.
0: Well,
1: if you're into that, check that out too. <laughs> 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 All right, peace.